everyone. Welcome to Freedom is Secure. I'm Paul Dragu, the Communications Director for the John Birch Society. Thanks for tuning in. So in 1920, right as World War I ended, globalists prompted the creation of the League of Nations, the first intergovernmental organization. The main selling point for the League of Nations was to prevent another war, like the devastating one that had just concluded. Sounds good, right? What sensible person wouldn't want that? But the American public wasn't buying it, despite a pro-League of Nations propaganda campaign against them. Back then, Americans wanted nothing to do with any intergovernmental clubs as much as they wanted nothing to do with war. Years prior, they had elected Woodrow Wilson in large part because he promised not to get us in Europe's war. We know how that turned out. Nevertheless, 58 member countries managed to be duped into the League of Nations, but not the U.S. But by the 1930s, another war was brewing in Europe, and soon it would erupt into a full-blown world war. The League of Nations died soon after, followed by 85 million casualties of the Second World War. But after World War II, the intergovernmental organization was resurrected, this time in the form of the United Nations. And this time, the United States was a founding member. Interestingly, one of the founders of the UN was a man named Alger Hiss. At the time, he was a U.S. State Department official and a Soviet spy, of which he was convicted later. The United Nations was supposedly founded to, you guessed it, prevent wars. But like the League of Nations, it's done no such thing. As the ink on the UN Charter was drying, the Cold War was beginning and would continue for decades. And after the establishment of the UN, several deadly conflicts would erupt around the world, including the Korean and Vietnam Wars, two Iraq Wars, a two decades long quagmire in the Middle East, and several others in between. And right now, as I speak, there's a war in Eastern Europe involving a country with a nuclear arsenal the size of Rhode Island. And it's been going on for nine months. Where's the UN? The United Nations has obviously failed, at least in its supposed mission. But what's its real goal? And what's the deal with all these wars? In this episode, we're discussing the true relationship between war and the globalists' agenda. But before we dive in, please remember to subscribe to our social media and podcast channels and like and share our episodes. So, I'm fortunate to have back on the show Art Thompson, former CEO of the John Birch Society and the author of a pile of books on the insiders, including International Merger by Foreign Entanglements and In the Shadows of the Deep State. Thanks for joining me again, Art. Happy to be here. So, Art, is it just me, or have these intergovernmental organizations completely failed to prevent wars and uh, maybe have even inspired more? There seems to have been quite a few conflicts in this last century. Well, actually, looking at it, you have to you have to come to the conclusion after a while that they actually help w- start wars, that they're not in the, the war-stopping business, they're in the war-manipulating business. And so they will ma- will manipulate wars uh, and, uh, and as, as a result, get more and more power into the UN and, and regional structures and so on and so forth. Well, how, how does that work? How, for instance, if the UN goes around and saying we're here to prevent wars and, and that hasn't happened, first of all, how does it still exist? And secondly, how does it co- contribute to creating these wars? Well, first of all, why it still exists is because uh, the people have been 
fooled into thinking that it is a peace organization instead of a war organization. They're taught that in the schools, and there's a lot of uh, organizations in the United States and around the world, but in the United States, that sell that story to the American people, uh, whether it's the Council on Foreign Relations or the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace or on, or on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, basically they do these things. They, they per, uh, perpetuate war because it is the, the key to changing governments. War is the biggest catalyst to change Yeah. because they will manipulate fear. We've talked about that on this program before, how they use fear. Right. The biggest fear is war. Yeah, you've got pandemics, uh, economic collapses, any number of different things that government can use to uh, impose new taxes, new regulations, new controls on the people. But war is the one that is the paramount uh, uh, catalyst for for control. Yeah, it paralyzes people. Oh, huh? yeah, and and, and they, their thinking is—I mean, their ability to think critically, right? That's correct. They they will stand still for almost anything. And, uh, you know, rationing, uh, curtailment of travel, uh, locking up undesirables, yeah. uh, any number of different things in the name of the war effort. Like, so that's how they have manipulated the American people uh, for a long time. Actually, the, 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 <laughs> and if you really study it, you will find that in most instances, the American people have financed both sides in any war. It's just that they didn't know it. Yeah? Well, Go on. It's awful. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, for one thing, Russia could not exist without American industry. It could not. It never has been able to. You can point to whether it's, it's Boeing or General Electric or any of these corporations helping the Russians in their scientific and industrial efforts. Right. On, on, the, on the other hand, it's the same with, with Ukraine. Uh, they have financed the, uh, the Ukrainian government for decades. And if they don't like the particular individual that the people elected, they actually go into Ukraine and have changed that government. Uh, this gal, Victoria Nuland, for instance, who's mm-hmm. now in the Biden administration as the political affairs uh, undersecretary of state, she actually... Uh, uh, changed the government of Ukraine in league with Biden when he was uh, vice president. She worked in uh, for one of the intelligence agencies, correct? She did at one point, but this was when she was working in the State Department. Yeah. And if you recall, too, uh, Biden uh, was uh, caught on at, at a meeting of the Council mm-hmm. on Foreign Relations on video stating that he prevented a certain amount of money in aid going yeah. to the Ukrainian government if they didn't stop an investigation into his son Biden by this particular uh, individual in the government of Ukraine. And Ukraine is really a, you know, if you study the history of Ukraine, I don't know how those people still exist because Stalin starved millions of them. And then after World War II, Stalin went in and slaughtered even more of them. And and it's been that history, uh, the Ukrainian history for decades. They just everybody steps on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they're fighting back to, to give them yes, credit. Yes, they That's are for sure. But what is your what is your take on on this? How is this 
you know, how was this prompted and what can we even expect after this? We've seen, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's like after World War One. Uh, you know, well, actually, we didn't mention some of the changes and we could go into that. But what change can we expect after Ukraine? And what, what's your take? What's your opinion on what the heck is going to turn out this thing? We're going nine months in, man. And it doesn't seem like they're interested in peace either. What, what do you think about that? Well, they were going to settle very early, but we got mixed up in it and, and tore that whole thing apart to where they, they, they backed away from a settlement. Was it us or the, 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 the Brits? Well, the Brits were involved with us, let's put it that way. And so uh, somebody wants a war. And we pulled out all of our military, supposedly, when this thing started, but now we're starting to inject military again. This time, ostensibly, to keep an eye on the equipment that we're giving to the Ukrainians. Yeah. Now, it's kind of interesting. Are we going to have an accountant there? <laughs> well, it's kind of the way it is, I, supposedly. But they, they claim that there is a claim. Another tank down. <laughs> yeah, well, no, not that. It's that they're reselling this stuff to other countries. After Ukraine? Ukraine's selling this to other countries. Is there documentation for that? How do we know I don't that? know. That's what they're claiming. Who's so, claiming this? Well, the, the, the government, when you look at the reason they're sending back U.S. military to keep an eye on this military equipment that is actually yeah. being used by the Ukrainians against the Russians. Well, that doesn't sound surprising. I mean, the way the weapons flow in and out of those countries over there, I mean, and, and it would surprise me if someone's not trying to steal or at least, you know, hustling. Somebody's trying stuff. to make a buck all the time. Yeah, they? yeah, this is the highest, like, yeah. the highest degree of technology. But that's that's how it starts, you see. And then all of a sudden, one of our guys is going to get killed or something. Yeah. Well, we need more help more troops over there to protect our... Yeah, they killed Americans. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. That, that's kind of the way it starts. And then it, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And so. where do you see this ending up? Are there, is there going to be a union? I mean, apparently this started, and what do you think of that, the, the narrative that this started because we kept encroaching on Putin's region there in his backyard, and he said, look, we, we talked about this, and there was, I believe there was a pledge where the United States and NATO said that we will only go thus far, and that's clearly not the case. We try to suck Ukraine in. What do you think of that? Well, the, what's going to happen is going to be based on the political atmosphere in the United States. What happens in this uh, upcoming election, uh, the midterm election? How many men and women are uh, of constitutional background and and uh, adherence to the Constitution are elected into the United States Congress? That will play a, a lot of mm -hmm. a, a big part on it because they need to manipulate people. That's the whole idea behind this thing, and and so based on how much they have to manipulate will depend on what they do in in Ukraine. If they can do it without actually uh, going full tilt into a war where we are involved, yeah. that's what they'll, they'll do. But if they need that war, there it is. It's yeah. just laying there ready to go. Let's talk about some of these, uh, let's go back in time a little bit and talk about some of the changes that were implemented. Uh, maybe we'll go back to World War II. We know there was a great deal. I mean, society changed pretty pretty drastically after World War II. Society, which society? Well, American society yeah, or yeah. the world? Well, I think it's both, but we'd be more interested in, in the Western world and especially American society. What's your take on that? 
Well, American society was caught up into uh, into the Cold War. Again, they used fear. Yeah. Uh, get under the desk. Uh, what would they say? Drop, cover, and whatever. Well, you, that was your time, wasn't it? That's when <laughs> yeah, you were in school. Yeah, they, they Was used that to pretty terrifying? Oh, not really. I mean, you know, it was games for, to us, yeah. you know, us kids. But uh, but they convinced everybody that if we uh, didn't, you know, do certain mm-hmm. things, uh, then we were going to go into an atomic war. Yeah. And so that fear caused an awful lot of uh, organizations and manipulation on the international level with uh, getting into international entanglements, abrogating the Constitution, taking power away from the people uh-huh. through the Congress into these international organizations. Let me give you just one example. Go on, please. Uh, we have a lot of trade agreements. The, co- the Constitution says that Congress shall regulate trade, but these trade agreements have now taken that away from Congress and placed it in these international agreements to where Congress no longer can, uh, can handle the, the, the trade. What name was such, such agreement? I- well, the latest one, of course, is the United States-Mexico-Canada mm-hmm. agreement. Uh, you know, and and they've tried it with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. They've tried it with the uh, uh, trying to get us involved with the EU and and that sort of thing through the Trilateral Commission and so on and so forth. But if you read these treaties, you discover that Congress virtually has no say so any longer over our own trade, and yet the Constitution says that's right. what will happen. So what they do is they amend the Constitution illegally in this process. So that's part of the things that's going on in, in all of this. Do they get away with it by saying it's non-binding? That seems to always, it's not a law, right? It's, these aren't laws that they're passing, but they become implemented. They're little pledges, they're little plans. You, we hear this with the environmental, the sustainable development Sure. argument all the time it's like oh it's non-binding and now we're like living it and it's like what are you talking about this the esg scores of course and and all the green policies that are being implemented well so it, much for non-binding they say non-binding but it's but the uh, that's just to get it done yeah and then once we have it then we ad- adhere to it you know in the case you know like the usmca which a lot of conservatives support uh, here we're we're now uh, tied to a, a Marxist government in in Canada through Trudeau, and if you really want to know the truth, the Mexican is the government is Marxist as well, and so what what has happened is in this compromise towards trade, what has happened to our our country? We believe in free enterprise, freedom of the individual, and all of that, and we have compromised that position through this so-called free trade agreement. Mm-hmm. It's not even a treaty according to uh, the official uh, statements out of Washington, D.C. But if you talk to Canada or Mexico, they call it a, 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 a treaty. Yeah. We don't call it a treaty. So these treaties are one way of, of implementing piece by piece one world government. Let's go back to talking about war, because sure. that's kind of what it's like. How else do they use wars to implement their 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 piece by piece uh, one world government well first of all they divide us up into groups you know they regionalize us yeah. militarily like NATO uh, 
that sort of thing. Uh, and so, but the thing is, if you look at the NATO treaty, you know, they, they scare us about Russia's going to invade Eastern, uh, I mean, Central Europe and then Western Europe, so mm -hmm. we need to form a NATO. Yeah. Except NATO keeps expanding beyond Europe. Yeah. But at any rate, so they scare us into the, the Russian uh, bear. Uh, we go into NATO. Uh, we surrender our ability to manage our own armed forces because if you read the NATO treaty and the United Nations treaty, that gives the power over our own military. If you read those treaties, you'll find it out very quickly. Well, don't they say that, especially the NATO one, said that we're kind of beholden, like if, if a certain country gets into a conflict, then we have to come in and, and defend, right? That's correct. Well, so, and, so, and that surpasses that congressional approval, right? That's exactly right. But it already, see the thing is, that for congressional approval, has not been a declaration of war since we joined the United Nations. It's been an approval of a United Nations, United Nations Security Council resolution, and we approve that resolution. We don't have a declaration of war. We haven't had one since, what, World War II, right? World War II is the last one. But, yeah, how many conflicts have we been in? Well, more than I've got fingers and toes. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. So what are the, some of the uh, things that get some of the uh, freedom-crushing policies and laws and edicts that get passed in, in times of war. You know, any time now, maybe there's, you know, they've been talking about, you know, nuclear. There's been talk now in major media, obviously coming down from the White House, of, of this nuclear threat and whatnot. And so in the past, what uh, freedom-crushing uh, policies and edicts have we seen from the government that we should be watching out for in this well, they always, there's an exception going on right now, but prior to all the other wars, at some point we've always geared up our industrial capacity for making the accruements for war. Mm -hmm. uh, we were a little uh, late getting into it, uh, you know, before World War II, but nonetheless, we were already making planes and, and cannon and everything else for Britain. Uh, so on and so forth before we were ever in the war. For Russia, too. Well, that's that's true. Uh, but we were also helping Germany at the same time. There were a lot of uh, industries in the United States who were helping Germany. And so, uh, but this time it's kind of different, and, and, it's, and, and I haven't been able to figure it out yet. Uh -huh. But they are destroying our capacity for war. Take a look at our strategic oil reserves. Yeah. I mean, they're de depleting our de strategic oil reserves when if we're going to go have a war, we need those. But they're, but they're depleting them for political purposes to get the price of the oil down for the election. All right. But, they, but in addition to that, they have uh, stopped building pipelines, explore, uh, oil exploration, pumping, refining, refining, et cetera, et cetera. So they're not preparing us to win a war. They are preparing us to lose, to lose a war. And that's scary. Or is that, who, 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 are the, who would be prepared to be the victors? The, the China, uh, the, the China can, uh, group there? Well, if we had maintained and, and would maintain uh, our prowess in, in the production of, of war capability, uh, 
there's no question that we could uh, beat Russia and China as long as we didn't go into mainland Asia. I mean, we can't, you know, we don't have the population to fight yeah. the, the, the amount of people they have, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we don't want to get involved in that kind of a war. But when it comes to the technology and, and the Navy and, and all of that, we could beat them. That's, yeah. that's not, a, not a problem. Well, they say wars change in that sense, too, that technology has greatly reduced the need for, you know, actual manpower and things like that. Well, that's what they say. But, you know, you just like the Air Force used to say that they could win a war, but it's still a guy in the boots that go in and occupy it yeah. afterwards. It's always the guy in the boots. Hmm. And, uh, and so uh, a lot of people might, might uh, dif- differ with my opinion about the prowess of, of the Russians and, and the, the Chinese, but the Ukrainians have shown the prowess of the Russians, haven't they? And the battlefield, the Ukrainians yeah. have been able to beat them. Wow, and everybody was saying that Russia will just roll right on over them. But that's not been the case, has it? Because the Russians do not have a very good uh, history of maintaining their equipment. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned they, that. Uh, it's terrible. I used to read reports about the tanks that they had and all that, you know, when I was in uniform. Uh, about how many thousands of tanks they had ready to roll into uh, yeah. into Europe, no except for one little thing. <laughs> They're no good. Most of them didn't work. They couldn't work. Why they, is that? Is it the bureaucracy? Well, it, I mean, I it, it's just like the beginning of World War II. You know, who had the who had the biggest air force in the world in the beginning of World War II? Was it the Brits? Russia. No kidding. Darn fool, things wouldn't fly though. Oh wow! Because. They, the commissars down in the structure would never want to report upwards their failings uh, in maintaining yeah. their equipment. Yeah, they didn't want their head chopped no, off. No, exactly. <laughs> so a lot of these guys know that their superiors do not stand for failure. Yeah, yeah. So they lie in their reports. They, well, they're terrified to death, and rightfully so. The, the history in that part of the country, the way they operate— it it was I I'm, I was born in that part of the country I mean that's part of the world of course and but I wasn't born in Russia I was we were born in a satellite state or in Romania but you knew and you know of like the fear the way they operate by fear and you would think that by now they have learned that this obviously doesn't work you know you have at least a century if not more of innovation on the West where they're you know where the military is not threatening the, to, you know, you don't have to sleep with one eye open if you screwed up or whatever, whereas the, the opposite is true there. Let me give you just a real simple illustration. I was at the wall when it was coming down, you know, in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and while I was there, there were a lot of people selling their uniforms that were in the East German Army and so on and so forth. And as like artifacts or something? No, it was just their their whole uniform. Mm. And I w- I picked up a, a hat, and with a, with a brim on it, you know. And I looked at it. I said, "This is crap. It is it is really, really bad, huh? bad uh, compared to the, the, the hats that we had." Yeah. I mean, uh, and so I realized it just reinforced my opinion that these people really didn't know how to 
how to make things and, and so on and so forth. Let, let me give you another illustration. There was a guy that came across and got jo- a job in a Western fact in, in a Western factory in East in West Berlin. Mm. And the day he went to work, all of a sudden the assembly line shut down. Everybody there could pull a cord or whatever it was, uh, punch a button. If there was some emergency, to shut the the, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 production line down. So the guy in charge goes down to this fellow, this brand new guy from East Germany, and says, "What's the problem?" He says, "Well, I've run out of bolts." And the guy says, "Well, didn't couldn't you go to the supply room and get more bolts?" And the guy says, "You mean there's more?" <laughs> See, they have they have a they have a system of so much every day, and that's the quota, and that's what you do. Yeah. And and it and so the whole thing is different from what we do in in the West. We believe in we have abundance, and they have scarcity. Yeah. Well, that's 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 unfortunately beginning. Uh, I, I think beginning to change, but I mean, you know, staying back on that, it's like the the quality of what was produced in the West is also an explanation. I would think of why they always had the steel technology in the East. That's how they operated, right? They stole the technology. They didn't so they much create do. anything. They still, they still do, still right? Do. Well, I mean, Boeing, for instance, has a research lab in the in Russia. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it, it's kind of a joke. I mean, here you've got Boeing helping the Chinese, for instance, build large frame aircraft in China, while in the United States they're helping build anti-aircraft guns to shoot those planes down that they're helping build in China. Money coming from all sides, huh? Is that that really what this all comes down to? Have these corporations, has it just come down to the money? Because there is a there is a more center left uh, narrative coming from people who who know there's a conspiracy, who know there's insiders and whatnot. But their take on it is that this is turning into a corporate fascist type global uh, system. Well, there is that, but uh, there there's always the allure of of wealth, of money, and so on and so forth. But in the end, that's really not what it is. It's power. And so you've got to kind of figure out that these guys, we're dealing with megalomaniacs. They don't think normally, okay? Yeah, that that seems to be why we have such a hard time, why we are so naive, I would think. We can't, we just can't think like these lunatics. Yeah, well, you have to. You you have to, you know, when people say, well, how come you know this and you know that? I says, you got to think like a criminal. (laughs) <laughs> you really do. Yeah. You have to think, if I want to do this, uh, if, for instance, if I want to rob a bank, what am I going to have to think about? What am I going to have to do yeah. in order to rob the bank? Okay, if I want to rule the world yeah. or this country or whatever, what am I going to have to do to do that? Yeah. And it's so, interesting that they even want to do that. Like, that's such a, like, I have a hard time supervising the one or two people. I, you know, it's like, I'd rather not, you know, but they want to, like, rule over everyone. That's so, like, demented, huh? Well, it's demonic, and and there's only one step from demonic to satanic. And and we're dealing with people that uh, really are not Christian in their outlook, but, yeah. and all that means. They're not moral, not even— They're, they're not, not moral. They're amoral. Yeah. Any Whatever it takes to get ahead and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, you can look at the at history, whether you're talking about Hussam, uh, uh, Saddam Hussein, Adolf Hitler, 
Joseph yeah. Stalin, Benito Mussolini, any of these people, and, and the, the more current one like Z, and, and I would even say Biden, uh, and people like that, they're, they're, they're consummate liars. I mean, they lie like it's just with ease. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they will do anything and say anything to promote their power. That's, that's what it is. That's that's. But they but they want to. The thing is that all of them have a philosophy of a one world government. All of them. Now, how are we going to just the position ourselves to bring about that one world power? But I want to be the guy that's going to be the one in power. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and the other guys they may help me get there, but I'm going to kill them as soon as. We get this thing together. Well, that's what happened in, in the Soviet Union over yeah. and over. And Next guy in, comes in, everyone's, you know, half of the, the his people are, you know, they're like, okay, go kill so-so, and it's like three people left, and he brings in you. Well, that's what happened with Saddam Hussein. The first week that he came to power, he had a meeting of the Ba'ath Party, and he says, you go out and shoot him, and you yeah. go out and shoot him. And the guys had to do it because they knew if they didn't, both of them would die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These people are it's just, you think there's people that, I think this is what another thing people have a hard time imagining is it's like we we may know some of the history or maybe we'll watch a, you know, History Channel documentary or something else and we see how ruthless, whether it be the Soviets, whether it be Mei Tong over there with his, you know, agrarian reform. And we're like, but I think most people would say, that can't happen today. There's no one that ruthless It's happening today. right in front of our eyes. It's beginning to happen in front of our eyes. We are facing right now a position of where we could get into uh, a, a, a condition of starvation in our own country because of the things that they're doing through this environmental program. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at the diesel. I mean, we've got less than a month's supply of diesel. Can anybody contemplate what's going to happen at the grocery store? or at the gas pump or anywhere else if we run out of diesel we won't have trucks moving any of those supplies out to people not not just things to buy to buy in the stores but things to eat yeah the things to get us uh, from a to b in yeah. our cars and and everything else well they say yeah, the the food shortages and you know going back to war that's another thing that seems to be blamed on uh, the, the food shortage that some of it which we are experiencing and I think around the world they're experiencing it even more and of course the, the forecast is gloomy but for instance in Ukraine I, I, my understanding is there's a there's a great pile of grain that's no longer uh, being produced and, and coming out so that's another uh, consequence of, of war right yeah they haven't been able to harvest what they've got they haven't been able to ship what they do have uh, mm-hmm. harvested. Uh, they're, they're negotiating right now uh, because there's African countries that are going to starve, literally, if they don't get those grains from yeah. Russia and the Ukraine. And all this leads to, to further unrest, which then maybe would be a great uh, opportunity for someone to be like, look, we need a more unified system here. We can't have all these conflicts and, and we need to work together to make sure everyone gets fed, not just the Americans and, and whatnot. Yep. All thanks to, you know, wars and and uh, ma- many other factors. What were the founding fathers' views on these entangle, uh, entanglements? Out, You know, because I think if you look at it, one of the the, the arguments against this isolationism, as they call it, uh, call it 
is that you just can't do that anymore in today's world. You just you, you, you can't butt out because sooner or later, it's going to end up on your shore. So you might as well get involved early on. You might as well do something. Well, there's not a the, free trade is, is not a problem as long as it's one sheet of paper. It's all the other sheets of paper and those 3,000 sheets of every trade agreement that are the problem. If one businessman from a country wants to trade with another businessman from another country, okay, great. But the thing is that our founders, Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and George Washington and all of them have publicly stated that we cannot get involved in in, in permanent foreign entanglements, period, because it will abrogate our system of government in the long run because of the things that come along with it. And they saw that based on, for instance, the Napoleonic Wars and, and, and well, it had, lots of that had already been happening. I oh, mean, yes. Europe was, was uh, devastated by wars even previous to that. So, you know, like Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun, huh? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, Art, what, what are the things that we hear from members and supporters? Is It's like, okay, great more information but what what can people do i mean something like this is just so uh it seems such a like high bar to get over such a big task it's like what do we do what does the average person do in this case well generally what we have to do is first we have to do just like the committees of correspondence did and that's first of all create understanding now i'm not talking about educating people. I'm talking about creating understanding in, the, uh, in that education. Uh, for instance, I saw a video here recently that had a historical bent to it. And I'm, I'm sitting there grinding my teeth because while he's giving facts, he's not creating understanding of the situation at the time period he's talking about. So what we have to do is to educate the people in Congress create an understanding in them, and then pressure them at home yeah. to live up to the Constitution of the United States. What do we educate them? What do we tell them? Hey, you can't be in a conflict if there's no congressional approval. Is that? Is that? Well, that's, that's for one. But, but it, 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 it is across a whole spectrum of things that they're doing in Congress now. There are certain things that Congress is allowed to do and certain things it's not allowed to do, period. Yeah. But it's being ignored. And so what we have to do is, is to educate the electorate yeah. and, and in the process uh, put the fear of you-know-what into, into our congressmen that they're right. not going to get reelected if they don't vote right. right. For instance, they can come to our, our website and download the uh, congressional record of, of scorecards, the, the yeah. scorecard uh, yeah. uh, and then distribute it as widely as they possibly can. That keeps our men and women in Congress honest. Right. When they know that there's a group of people out there that are watching them and reporting on them. Now, if they're great people, they, they love it because mm-hmm. that's what they want to do. Yeah. But if they're not so great, they will change or they will be changed. That's uh, that's the crux of why we exist is to help people understand, right? Yes. Um, you know, we we tout ourselves as creating understanding and and then organizing, 
but without a proper understanding, what are you going to organize? How are you going to organize? What are you going to do? Sure. Right? Well, the thing is that just education in and of itself will just lead to edu- uh, lead to frustration because everybody be down. You know, oh, right. my goodness, it's just terrible. Yeah, what yeah. can I do about it? I'm only one guy. Well, you're not one guy. You're 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 a, 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 a an important link with a group of people all over the country trying to do something about getting the Congress back to cut the Constitution. Well, it took us a long, long time to get to this. I, I think you know maybe people don't understand that because they wake up and all of a sudden everything's crazy, right? And they're like they think it happened overnight. And I think yeah. that's one of the most common misconceptions. It's like no, this got here over decades, if not entire century, of, of, of various um, uh, various attacks and approaches, whether it be from our media institutions to our educational institutions, all that, they changed the, the minds. And so now we have, you know, we have leaders who aren't constitution, they, they don't have a respect for the constitution, right? That's a big deal. And now we have an electorate, you know, we have voters, the public, who also doesn't know because, again, they went through education, you know, through K through 12 institutions that uh, they really weren't talking about that, right? No, they weren't. And in fact, uh, I get very disappointed as I get out and about and give talks, uh, whether it's from Maine to California, uh, that even uh, conservative leaders of conservative organizations don't know the basics. Yeah. For instance, the, the, the Declaration of Independence proclaims that we get our rights from God. Yeah. Now, we've been ordered, we, can have, we can't have God in the classroom anymore. Yeah. Now, if that's the case, how do you even teach the Declaration of Independence? You can't even teach that basic thing that we're the only country that declares that. Well, you can't even get a large segment of the public to buy into that, especially if they're atheists. Well, you know, that's true. No knock on atheists or whatnot, but it's written there in the de- in the Declaration of Independence that we have these rights and they're, they're, they're given from God, you know, and that government is here to secure them. Whereas now the prevailing uh, thought seems to be, it's like, oh no, your rights are, you know, what government says they are. Yeah. So they've, they've totally, you know, they've derailed that. They've destroyed uh, just that, you know, belief system. And, and now what is, what is, our Constitution hang on if that part of it is not to be believed. Well, one of the most successful programs that we have in the John Birch Society is getting people to, to watch the video series, The Constitution as yeah. a Solution. It's great. I've, that's yeah. how I got here. And and so uh, that is something that you can do. Uh, and and when once people see it, they will even adopt it into their organizations and, and everything else. Just like I was on the road here a week ago, and boy, the leadership of this organization was, oh, they didn't know about having this Bircher there as a speaker. Yeah. So I disarmed them immediately and then got into my pitch, basically. And by the time it was over, they, they thought it was great. So you've got sometimes a little hurdle to get over, uh, you know, to to yeah. be able to explain things to people, but it can be done. We get them there. So that's definitely the most important. <coughs> the most important thing we do is create that understanding. Mm-hmm. Any practical steps? We have some legislative alerts, and you know, I, I I'm going to kind of refer people to some of those, including we talked about NATO. There's that. Get us out of uh, NATO. We need to pressure per, for perhaps for a bill. To, you know, I don't know what effect that will have. Uh, we've had our get us out of the UN 
uh, campaign. Now, I have heard it's like, even from people on the inside, it's like, why do we keep pushing this? This is not happening. You know what my answer to them is? Lots of people thought that Roe v. Wade would never be uh, would never be shot down. Yes. And it happened. <clears throat> and it yep. happened after, what, five decades? Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened after a long time. Just because something is not happening as fast as we'd like it to doesn't mean we're going to take back or we're just going to throw away a campaign that is so crucial to us. That campaign signifies, and correct me if I'm wrong, it signifies us uh, saying that we need to be completely separate uh, and we need to uh, get out of these foreign entanglements, these international organizations like we've talked about. They do no good. It seems that they actually do more harm. You know, so uh, those are those are two steps they can take practically, right? We we offer tools, and you know, get a hold of your legislator. But the most important, I would say, like it seems like you would agree, is we have to create this understanding, uh, and this is not an overnight process. That's true, and the the difference between the John Birch Society and all these other conservative organizations is that we know that we're dealing with a conspiracy, and this conspiracy has an agenda. Yeah. And so we have to have a counter agenda. And one of those things is to get us out of the UN because we know that they want us into that thing totally to where everything is wrapped up in the UN, like Build Back Better. The Biden program, Mm -hmm. that's really a UN program. That's not Biden's program at all. Isn't it a UN slogan? Yes, it is. You can go to just about every uh, agenda-driven website of the United Nations, and you'll find Build Back Better in there. Yeah. It, it's been their program for a long time. Yeah. Well, the the UN's Agenda 2030, you know, it's 17 goals, and it's many, mm-hmm. many others underneath. You look at that, and it's, it's basically a replica of what we're seeing today, what's yes. happening today. So any last words, Art? Just get busy. Get busy. There you go. There you go, folks. <laughs> I think that's good. That's that's perfect. I mean, that's that's what it is. You know, as Americans, uh, like we talked about, we have no business getting entangled with any international organizations. They don't accomplish their purported goals. They're corrupt. They soak taxpayers for piles of money. We didn't even really talk about that. Uh, they lead us on the path to a one-world government, and they're liable to suck us into more wars. So here's a few things that you can do right away. Like, like we mentioned, you can tell your rep, U.S. representative and senators to start putting America first and pulling out of international entangling alliances such as NATO. And you can contact your U.S. representative senators and urge them to support the American Sovereign Restoration Act, H.R. 7806. This bill would fully withdraw the U.S. from the United Nations and its associated entities. And lastly... Get busy. Be a bircher who birches. If you're not a JBS member, apply. And one way or another, teach others the truth about the real goal of the globalists with these conflicts and enroll them in the cause so they can multiply our education efforts. Imagine what impact we could have if we have thousands of people who began calling their U.S. congressmen or working to get the message out. We need more pullers at the oars, as uh, our founder, Robert Welch, said. Collective pressure works. The leftists have learned this a long time ago. JBS founder Robert Welch said, every effort we undertake, every battle we fight, even if we lose it, and every sacrifice we make is cumulative. Every bit of dedication to the cause is worthwhile. So thank you for joining us. And don't forget that whatever ails society, freedom is the cure.